don't do that. What would you want to spend time doing that for? Hello, welcome back to the Wild Business Growth Podcast presented by Hippo Direct. This is your place to hear from a new entrepreneur or innovator every single Wednesday morning who's turning wild ideas into wild growth. I'm your host, Max Brandstetter, digital marketing dude at Hippo Direct, and you can reach me at max at hippodirect.com for help using your podcast as a marketing tool. This is episode number 100 minus one, and today's guest is the one and only Chris Ducker. Chris is the serial entrepreneur, top keynote speaker, and best-selling author of Virtual Freedom and Rise of the Youpreneur. He hosts the annual Youpreneur Summit and the Youpreneur FM podcast and calls himself the proudest Brit doing business online. You'll hear some stories and lessons from his incredible career and how you can be a Youpreneur. Let's get ducked up. Enjoy the show. Alrighty, we are here with the man behind Virtual Freedom and the Youpreneur himself, Chris Ducker. Chris, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm great, Max. Thanks for having me, man. Of course, of course. This is an absolute pleasure. And uh, we are going to get into just well, maybe one or two of the things that you've done throughout your career, a couple of years in the business world. But before we get into that, I, of course, want to start by asking you, why did you go to the Philippines in the first place? Because you spent over 15 years there. Yeah, I did 18 years in the Philippines. Um, there we go. It was work. You know, I got offered a job, plain and simple, and was working for a bank over there. I was managing their uh, marketing team locally. And then after a couple of years, contract ran out, uh, set up my own uh, business in, what, 2004 at that point, after doing a little bit of consultancy work freelance locally and uh, in, the, in the region. And then kind of it all just blew up from there, really. You know, there was one business that I set up and sold and then another one that I set up and grew and that's still running. And uh, then we start another one and then another one and then another one and then that one fails. And then we kind of just uh, focus on the three. So that's what we're doing now. (laughs) (laughs) So basically just the more you start another one and another one and another one, that's the secret to business success right there. Yeah, pretty much. No, I mean, the the funny thing was though, and I mean, it wasn't funny at the time, but in late 2009, I burned out. And obviously, I mean, you mentioned virtual freedom. So if you've read the book, you'll know the story. It's right at the beginning of the book. But ultimately, I burned out at the end of 2009. Going into 2010, I said, I'm going to try and replace myself as much as I possibly can day to day in the business. And at the time, we had about a hundred and I'm going to say about 130 staff. We just had our first seven figure year. Everything was great on the outside looking in. But if you were on the inside looking out, it was a disaster. I was working way too many hours. I wasn't looking after myself. The burnout was inevitable. And so in 2010, that's when I really got active online. Uh, and I started blogging and I started podcasting and talking about that journey of ultimately wanting to become a quote unquote virtual CEO. And by the end of the year, not only had I achieved it, but we'd also started the second business, which is virtualstarfinder.com, which is our recruitment agency for 
busy entrepreneurs that want to find VAs in the Philippines. And then it kind of just all spiraled from there. The personal brand was built slowly but surely, um, somewhat by accident over that two or three years. And then the speaking invites come along, then the book offer comes along. And before you know what's happening, Youpreneur is born, another business is set up, live events are run, coaching platforms are launched, and it kind of just all spirals uh, very much so out of control, I guess. But it, it you know, <laughs> that's it, a good direction to spiral in, though. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I'd rather, and you know, and yes, I should say also, two thousand. What was it? I was going to say maybe two thousand twelve. I think we had we'll that disaster. Two thousand twelve. Set up a firm called uh, Your Web PA, and the idea was that we would ultimately do what you could do on the freelancer sites. But instead of using freelancers, you'd use us. And we had a team in-house of about 40 people that could do everything from design a logo to transcribe your videos, right? Anything in between. And if I'm to be very frank, I drank my own Kool-Aid, plain and simple. You know, we, I'd been in the industry, in the outsourcing game at that point for about seven or eight years. Um, I very much had my finger to the pulse locally in the Philippines. You know, the blog and the podcast was doing really well. I was, you know, Virtual Starfinder was doing great. And I did. I drank my own Kool-Aid. I thought, you know what? I can launch this easy. We'll just do it. And I did no, no validation, no case studies, didn't talk to anybody. We just opened it up. And six months later, we closed it down with a debt of 60 grand and had to let go of all those people, almost all those people. So lesson learned, validate your business ideas first because nobody wanted to pay me to do what they could find a freelancer to do plus my 25% margin. And so, uh, yeah, that was a disaster. But there you go. Yeah, that's great. Well, already in, in what you've shared, you can get a sense of the ups and downs that you've had throughout your career. You mentioned burnout. And I think burnout mm-hmm. is something that so many entrepreneurs and people in the business world face or hope that they don't face at some point. But I know in your case, it hit you pretty severely, but you've obviously turned that around and come back stronger than ever. What can you point to as being the biggest reason that you were able to bounce back and actually create thriving businesses after experiencing burnout? Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, I had the support of an incredible wife, um, which was, you know, totally needed for me to even put that plan in place, um, knowing full well that I was going to have to lean on, and she's also my business partner as well, I should say. So I was going to have to lean on her a lot more than usual in certain areas of the business for that to take place. So she knew that she was going to be real, you know, work to the bone in 2010 as well. So, you know, having a supported partner without a shadow of a doubt was, you know, right at the top of the list there. I will say though, the the big thing was me. I had to get over myself. And I think this is something that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with at some point. Like for me, now that I've done it and I've coached a whole bunch of people through it or to avoid it um, at this point, I know it's just inevitable, Max. Like you're going to burn out unless you keep your house in order, plain and simple. Like it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. I've seen it over and over and over and over again. And here's the thing, success only breeds more success if you're good at what you do. And more success means more work, right? More deadlines, more deliverables. 
And so you've got to get your house in order, plain and simple. For me, it was about the fact that I was a very strong-headed, micromanaging type A business owner. Um, you know, if I could do it myself, I would do it myself. Even if there was somebody five feet away from me who could do it equally as well as me, or even better, that was on staff that I was paying. I'd still do it myself, right? So mm. I had to get over first. Uh, and then secondly, learn how to look after myself again, because I'd been working 16 hour days, drinking, you know, six, seven cups of coffee a day and eating crap, not exercising, not sleeping <laughs> properly, you know, and here I am sitting now with, you know, copious amounts of workout gear in the next room, uh, an aura ring on to track my sleep, <laughs> you know, a supplement <laughs> re regime every day and eating healthily and, and all that sort of stuff. So you've got to learn by your mistakes, I think more than anything else. But those were the two things, getting over myself and then learning how to look after myself again. Um, and I'm going to be 47 in a couple of months from now. So I'm no spring chicken anymore. If I don't look after me, ain't no one else going to do it, right? Well, happy early birthday to that. And I think you are the springest, springiest of the chickens. So I'll give it to you. <laughs> You've also revealed how you retain your chiseled figure in the room next to you. Yes. But I think what sticks out is even organically, you brought up the word you and how you really needed to look internally and look at yourself and kind of assess how you were doing things before you could take the next step in the business world. That brings us to Youpreneur. Rise of the Youpreneur was your second book, an amazing book after Virtual Freedom. Thank you. And you've developed a business and I know you've pivoted your branding and now there's the whole site and all the amazing online community and everything that you've created with Youpreneur and Youpreneur Summit. To start us off here, what is your latest and greatest definition for what is a Youpreneur? You know, it's real simple. And actually, it hasn't changed all that much in the five years, six years since I coined the term and five years since it's been public. Um, and that is that a youpreneur is somebody who builds a business based around their personality, their experience, and their expertise. Plain and simple. So it's somebody, it can be equally, uh, you know, the 22-year-old YouTuber who does magic tricks on YouTube and everybody loves him for it, even though there's a whole bunch of other magicians out there. He's building a, a following, an audience, products, services, whatever it might be around his personality and what he does, right? Or equally, it can be the 30-year financial pro who has finally decided to kick to the curb that corporate world and go out and set himself up as a best-selling author and a keynote speaker, sharing his knowledge on finances uh, and his experience around that financial industry, uh, anything in between. So it, it's a very broad subsection of the quote-unquote entrepreneurial world. Uh, but for me, it's the most enjoyable one to work with because of that variable uh, type of person that you'll end up working with. I mean, you know, one minute I could be teaching, uh, you know, or coaching a dentist on how to launch her online course. And the next minute I can be working with a dog, you know, professional dog walker, you know, oh, I thought you meant an actual dog or a dog possibly. I mean, hey, <laughs> you never know. I'm pretty sure there's some good personal brand dogs out there as well. Right. Yeah. I've heard some barkings out there. Totally. <laughs> so I just, you know, for me, it's, it's fun. And that is what a youpreneur is. It's somebody that, that builds a business based around what they're all about at the end of the day. 
So why would someone be interested in building a business around themselves versus working for one of the largest companies out there or a cutting edge agency or design firm? What's the difference there? Well, look, if that's what you want to do, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like as Gary Vaynerchuk always says, like, do you, right? Don't do Gary, do you. So, you know, if, if that's your vibe, if that's your bag to go out and get a great work, you know, a great job and build a great career and, and, and do what you want to do for other companies, go for it. You know, that's absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, I'm not one of those people that stands on a high horse and tries to sell all these aspirational dreams of building your own business. If that's not in you, then you don't need to even consider it. So you just go ahead and do you, as Gary says, right? But if you do feel like the idea of working for yourself and building something over, you know, a period of time that will ultimately not only bring you, you know, lifestyle freedom, but also financial freedom and put you in a position maybe where you can have a little bit of a, uh, a, a little bit of a legacy based around your work and leave some impact into the lives of people that you come into contact with, then that what I call the business of you model is a great model to go for. And above and beyond all of that, though, for me personally, I feel like as an entrepreneur, as somebody who's building a business uh, based around an expertise, when you make this switch, when you make this pivot, and I talk about it in the book, but when you make this pivot into the business of you model, it's the last pivot, I believe, that you'll ever make for your, in your career. And that's because you, you make a very conscious decision to build a business based around you, not reliant on you. That's where team building comes into play, but at least based around you, your message and the people that you want to serve. And because of that and that alone, you future-proof your business, you recession-proof your business, you pandemic-proof your business. We've had one of the best months ever in our business in the six years it's been up and running with Youpreneur in May. And wow. I think it's because of the fact that people are now very seriously looking at what they need to do to make sure that they don't get furloughed or, or laid off or, you know, whatever it might be in the future, should something like this happen again. Uh, and I'm, I'm pumped, man. I'm excited about, you know, the future here. I know a lot of people obviously are, you know, struggling right now and I feel for them. I truly do. Uh, but we believe that we're in a great position to help people build very profitable future-proof businesses. And that's what it's about. And I love that term future-proof because it puts it into perspective that, you know, if you do this right, you could actually have more security working for yourself than you could working for somebody else, which I think for a lot of people is really hard to grasp, at least at first. So what is involved in the pivot to becoming a youpreneur? Well, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, you've got to figure out what you want to be known for. Um, and that isn't finite. Like that can change at some point in the future. But, you know, once you figure out what you do, what your vibe is, what you want to be known for, then everything becomes a lot easier because your marketing uh, messages can become a lot more you know, niched down or niched down uh, to our American brothers and sisters tuning in. Um, you know, <laughs> you, you also, you know, but here's the thing, right? Like the further you can niche down, the further you can niche down in any given industry, the better your business will be, more robust your business will be. And in my mind, more profitable 
your business will be as well. And I'll tell you why, because it's one thing to say, well, I'm going to become a health and fitness coach. Okay, great. Let's go down a level. I want to become a health and fitness coach that works with women in their 40s. Now we're getting somewhere, right? Now we know who our avatar is, but let's go down one more level. I want to become a health and fitness coach that works with ladies in their 40s who are recovering from surgery. You see what I've done there and how that messaging can become so dialed in to what that particular lady is going through right now, it becomes an utter no-brainer of a decision for her to want to work with me. Rather than, this is Chris, the health and fitness coach, or the health and fitness coach for ladies in their 40s. You see what I'm saying, Max? Yeah, you know, this, the, this is Chris, the business person. Exactly, right. And you know, the further you can go down in that mindset towards niching down, the better it is, not only for you, but also for the people that you end up serving and working with, because you're so tuned into what they're all about and what they need help with, then, you know, everyone's happy, right? What tips do you have for becoming niched down or, or niche down? I never know the, I never know the right <laughs> way to say it either. You do you, man. <laughs> I'll do me. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Well, I think, you know, you do exactly what I've just done right there. I mean, you, you look at what you want to be known for. You look at a subsection of that. Like, you know, let's use the dog walking uh, or the dog training. Let's go with dog training, right? Like, <laughs> so, okay, you're, you've got a passion for training dogs. You've trained your own dogs. You've trained your family's dogs, your friend's dogs. Dogs really respond to you. You kind of feel like, actually, you're a bit of a dog whisperer. You want to turn this into some profit right? You, you're kind of bored sitting there in that accounting job that you've got. But you know, on the weekends, you make a little extra money here and there training dogs. So let's say, but there's one particular breed that you really enjoy working with more than anything else. Your life's work now is all about working with chihuahuas. So now you're the dog trainer in your city for people with chihuahuas. Again, you see what I've done? I've just gone down a couple of notches by figuring out what I want to be known for, what really, to use Marie Kondo's you know, term here, what sparks joy in me, because if I'm not enjoying what I'm doing, everything's going to crash and burn. There's no doubt about that. So you know, what do I want to be known for? What do I enjoy doing? And who out there can I help? And how can I help them? And once you figure that out, once you've answered those few quick questions, then what you can do is what I call the self-assessment test. And the self-assessment test is exactly what it is. You're assessing where you are and what you want to do. But the beautiful thing about this is there's no wrong answers ever because we focus on our strengths and we kick our weaknesses to the curb. We don't care about our weaknesses. You know how people someone, sometimes say, oh, I'm going to work on my weaknesses in the right. next quarter. Don't do that. What would you want to spend time doing that for? You delegate, <laughs> delegate your weaknesses and you double down on the stuff that you really, really good at. And so once you couple that together with those foundational qualities of understanding what you want to be known for, what sparks joy, I love that, by the way, what the sparks joy and then, <laughs> you know, how you can help people. At that point, you can provide solutions to people's problems. And that's the, that is at the core of any business model, really, right? So if you can do that in the right way, for the right reasons, for the right people, you're blessed to be able to put 
a price tag on that solution. You make money, they get a problem solved, everyone's happy. And who doesn't like when everyone is happy? It kind of reminds me of the improv exercise, or maybe it's a brainstorming exercise where somebody finishes a sentence and then you say, and, and then somebody says another sentence and you say, and, and you keep going. That's kind of how you can brainstorm and keep going of, okay, what other specifics can I add to being niched or niched down? You know, you do you, you do me, Uh, I do me, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and, and I actually, I do that quite often in coaching sessions. I even do it on stage in front of live audiences where, you know, I might get a piece of feedback from somebody in the audience and then I'll always follow up with, so that, uh, well, I want to become a dog trainer so that, so that I can help people live with their dogs in harmony so that. Ooh, I like that. I'll let you know, yada, yada, yada. And it just goes on and on. And let me tell you something. It scares the crap out of people when you drop that on them immediately. I mean, you can see the sweat beads rolling down their foreheads when you put them on the spot like that. But every single time I've done it, I've always had that person or those people come up to me after my talk and say, I am so thankful for what you just did. Like that 45 minutes was worth the price of admission. And that's what it's about. It's about helping people get over those stumbling blocks. So that? (laughs) So that you can continue to serve them doing exactly what you were put on this earth to do. So that, no, we're not, we're not going to keep going with it for now, but, <laughs> but I, I love the example. That has to be fun in front of live audiences. Totally. Oh yeah. Yeah. And on the delegation piece. So you're, you've kind of made a name for yourself, especially early on as being a master at when you should delegate, what you should delegate, how to work with VAs, how to manage VAs, et cetera. What's the clearest way that you know that you should work on something or you should team with somebody else and, and they can manage it? Yeah, I love this question because, um, you know, again, we talk about it in virtual freedom. We've got the three list of freedom exercise and anybody tuning in can do this right now. Like pause the podcast, go get a piece of paper and a pen and come back and hit the play <laughs> button again. Right. We'll be waiting. Piece of paper, two lines down the middle, creating three columns. Column number one, you list down all the things that you do day to day that you hate. Right. And I mean, like put off all day long drag and drop on your digital calendar. I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that next week. Whatever that is, you've got to do those things because your business demands that you do them, but you hate doing them. That's list number one, the stuff you hate doing. List number two is a list of all the things that you're doing. You don't necessarily hate them, but you've got to do them, but you're not that great at them, right? Like the chances are there's somebody else out there that could do this better than you and get it off your plate. So that's a list of all the things there in list number two. This is stuff that you don't particularly like doing or that you're not very good at. And then number three, that third list, and this is where I always joke a little bit where, you know, you got to pour yourself a drink and just sort of sit back and think about this a little bit. Yeah. And that is a list of things that you feel, this is the money right here, that you feel as the business owner that you are, you should not be doing. That's the money. Because this right here frees up all that time that, you know, you don't necessarily hate these tasks. You might actually be very good at these tasks, but should you be updating your Facebook page? Should you be editing your podcast or YouTube videos? Or could your time be better spent on more high level activities, like spending more time with your top 20% 
clientele or developing new products and services or attending you know, live events and conferences where you can network and find new customers or partners or whatever it is. That's the stuff that business owners should be doing. It's not necessarily updating their Twitter feed, right? Even though they don't hate doing it and they're pretty good at it, they shouldn't be doing it. And so those three lists right there, there's your blueprint. That's it. That's when you figure out whether you should or should not be working on certain tasks. Those three lists will, will do it for you. And that's actually what spurred on the 2010 goal of becoming a virtual CEO. I did that very exercise for the first time ever. I didn't know it was an exercise at the time, but I kind of just did it towards the end of 2009. And we ended up giving it a sexy name and putting it in the book. And then it became a big thing. But here's the thing. I still do it now twice a year, beginning of the year, middle of the year, because I'm just human like anybody else. I'll still slip back into bad habits uh, and, you know, end up doing stuff that I shouldn't be doing. Right. So I think it's, it's one of those things where you have to, you know, consciously get into the groove, so to speak, of consistently updating what it is you should and shouldn't be working on at any given time as the business owner that you are. And I love that the, the moneymaker, as you said, is that column on things that you believe you shouldn't be doing. Because mm -hmm. it's kind of crazy to think about how you could improve by figuring out the things that you shouldn't be doing. You know, everybody thinks about the things you should be doing or how you can do it better and faster. But yeah. that's where that delegation piece is so huge is figuring what are these big time sucks or what are these things that just it's better for the business if I'm not involved in. And that your example of the podcast editing really hit home for me because I'm helping more and more entrepreneurs and small business owners produce their podcast. And time mm -hmm. and time again, we see that everybody wants a podcast. Everybody is really excited about doing the podcast. And then when they get to the editing piece, it's so helpful to have somebody else actually do the editing and the production side of things because Absolutely. it's so time consuming. Absolutely. And, you know, for the first 50, 60, 70 episodes of my podcast, well, we started what, April, 2010, with my first show. Oh my God. First 50, Congrats on that, episodes. by the way. Congrats on still going from that time. Yeah. Army Eye is my favorite, without a doubt, my favorite medium still. But here's the thing. For the first 50, 60 episodes, I edited every single one of them. And I didn't hate doing it. I was pretty good at it. Um, but then a time came where I said to myself, I don't know, I mean, like, you know, a 30-minute show to do it properly. That's, you know, it still takes an hour, hour and a half to do it properly. I'm pretty sure there's somebody else out there that could do it just as well for me. And I can take that 90 minutes and I can either put it into creating more content to serve the people that I want to attract into my ecosystem, or I can do a 90-minute coaching call for two and a half K or whatever it might be, right? Whatever it might be. So right. like you say, there comes a time where you have to start genuinely uh, looking at what you're doing to make sure that you don't, you know, sort of burn out and that you're maximizing. I think it was, it was probably somebody very, very famous, some famous rapper that said, you've got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. And uh, yeah, yeah, that, that was, uh, I thought that was yourself actually. <laughs> it was just now, but I totally stole it. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, exactly. There's the opportunity cost or opportunity gain really of any major task like that. Totally. Imagine you started your own podcast. You're growing your brand, sharing your expertise, maybe even your terrible puns, and meeting fascinating people. That is awesome. 
Now, imagine all the hours you've lost every week due to the podcast demands. Not so awesome. I am your podcast producer. Email me at max at hippodirect.com. Let's switch gears a bit. Let's get to a segment on inspiration and creativity. So when you look across your career and all your different lines of business and how you've come up with your new ideas, what has helped you stay creative? I mean, I don't know whether it's helped me stay creative per se, but certainly one thing that's worked for me over and over and over again in coming up with ideas and you know, putting processes in place to take action on those ideas has been the support of a mastermind group. I mean, that's been huge to my growth as an entrepreneur. Yeah. I've been either part of mastermind groups or running mastermind groups myself, probably the best part of eight, nine years now. Um, And I can definitely, without a shadow of a doubt, put whole bunch of emphasis on the importance of being part of a mastermind group. Even if it's just a collection of like a handful of your peers that you know that you just meet up with once a month on Zoom or, you know, if you're all in the same town, maybe you do it at somebody's house or whatever it is. But like, even if it's just that, something as simple as that, you just come together for a morning or an afternoon, do it. Absolutely do it because you just, it takes one idea to come out of a session like that and it can end up putting six figures on your revenue that year. And that's why I always say like, if you're not reading, you're, you're losing out. Like I, I read probably an average of two or three books a month still to this day. And the reason why I read them cover to cover as well, don't just skim them. It's because you never know when that one line, that one sentence, that one pullout quote, is going to appear that will put you on a path of either serving your customers in a better way or developing a new product or line or a new service opportunity. Like you just don't know. And so for me, masterminds without a doubt have been huge. And that's why, you know, at Youpreneur, we put such a massive emphasis on masterminding as part of our live events, as well as our coaching programs uh, and everything else that we do as well. So yeah, masterminding, man, without a doubt. (laughs) Masterminding, man. It's got a ring to it. Always a fan of alliteration. The t-shirt. Exactly. So you clearly get a lot from masterminds. You also are a big fan of reading books. But I know that you have a very different approach to subscribing to newsletters and listening to podcasts. Can you shed some light on that and kind of why you have a different mindset for those things? Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I mean, I was, I I think I was just like kind of everybody else for a while, you know, you find a show, let's say you find a podcast and you like what you hear, you hit subscribe, you download a bunch of stuff in the archives, you listen to it. And then each week that episode comes in and you'll listen to it in the car or when you're working out at the gym or you're walking the dog or even when you're working, you might have it on the background or whatever. Uh, you know, likewise, email, you know, email sequences or newsletters, you know, you, you, there's that leader in your industry, that influencer that you like to learn from, you want to see how they do it, right? And so you subscribe to get their free ebook and then you subscribe to another one and another 30 and, you know, every day you get <laughs> all these emails through to you. And what do you do with those ebooks, man? You, you don't read them. You don't read them. You file them somewhere for them to eat up valuable space on your computer hard drive. 
um, but you rarely read them. And likewise with the emails. I mean, you know, you just hit delete nine times out of 10, a lot of the time anyway. And so I think it was probably about three, maybe two or three, uh, probably more like three or four years ago, actually, I decided that I was going to stop consuming and concentrate on creating instead. And so I just, I told my VA, sign into my iTunes account, cancel everything on my phone. I don't want any newsletters, I, you know, get into my email. Do what you got to do to just unsubscribe me from every podcast, every YouTube channel, every email newsletter. And we'll start there and see how it goes. Oh my God. They had the purge. That, that had to be one of the most fun jobs ever of, of just <laughs> she, getting off of everything. <laughs> you know, there was another one as well that I gave her a task. I don't know, maybe a year and a half or so ago now where, you know, you have, and you have the ability to get to 5,000 friends on Facebook, right? So mm-hmm. I, you know, I used to do a lot of keynote speaking. Now I do maybe half a dozen sessions a year. Uh, but I mean, at one point I was doing 25, 30 speeches a year, but it was like, you know, you get off stage and you've got all these friend requests. So you just say, accept, 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 whatever. I don't use it for personal stuff anyway. If I got a photo on to share with my brother or someone, you know, I'll send it to them, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to put it up on Facebook. So, you, you know, we maxed out at 5,000. I was like, now I now actually want to use Facebook for the news feeds. I don't know these people. I don't know any of them. <laughs> Who are these people? <laughs> right, it's just junk. So, yeah, so she went in and kind of got it down about 400, I think, you know, based on the number of different parameters I gave. That took about three weeks to do. Yeah, fun jobs. But ultimately, that, that's, my, that's my kind of tactic, my strategy, if you want to call it that. I, now, I want to say, it's not that I don't watch YouTube videos. I do. It's not that I don't, uh, you know, read people's emails from time to time. I do. It's not that I don't download and listen to podcast episodes. I do. I just don't subscribe to anything, particularly for any period of time anyway, because I'd rather consume content based on need and requirement in terms of what I'm working on right now, rather than just out of habit is what I'm saying. Um, It's like uh, social media as well. Like I found myself, you know, once that screen time thing was launched on, on the iOS update a while back, I found how much time I was spending on my phone browsing through social media. It's mad. Oh my God, yeah. Like I, I, but I don't, here's the thing, my team manages my social media for me, right? So what am I doing on there? Like, you know, I mean, I'll reply to DMs. That's generally basically the only thing I do. Everything else is up there via the team, right? And so, you know, why am I spending two hours a day on Instagram? Like, this is crazy. And so I just, I just deleted all the apps from my phone. Just delete, just got rid of all of them. I don't have anything on my phone. And, and now, the, now that Instagram does direct messages on, on the desktop, I, think I don't even have to down. Like I used to download it once or twice a week, do what I wanted to do, and then uninstall the app again. Um, but now I can just do it all via the desktop. It's great. I'm feeling a major brand partnership between you and Marie Kondo because this all goes back to <laughs> keeping what brings you joy and getting rid of everything else. So let's get to a fan favorite segment called the Wild Business Shoutout of the Week. The Wild Business Shoutout of the Week. Wild Business Shoutout of the Week. This is where we talk about a campaign or ad that caught our attention. And we're going to go to the bank virtually because you saw a, an ad, a commercial for a bank in the UK that caught your attention, which yep. catching anybody's attention is a feat these days. What stood out to you and what brand was it? I mean, it's an even bigger feat when you're on lockdown with 
two young kids in the house. Oh my God. Yeah. And businesses to run and all the rest of it as well. So this, so for anybody outside of the UK, this will be a long shot and you might, you know, if you're marginally interested in this, you can Google it, but there's a bank here in the UK called TSB, right? TSB. They have done, I mean, a lot of the banks have tried to do this, but they have done an incredible job here in the UK on television knowing that people are spending more and more time sitting in front of the Google box, right, right now, in basically just saying like, we're here to support you through this tough time. We understand that you're worried about the impact of COVID-19 and we're here to reassure you. And you know what it is? It's just one clip after another, after another for 60 seconds, whatever it is, of members of their team working both in the branch but also at home as well. And, you know, there's people in kitchens and, you know, dining rooms and all this sort of stuff. And there was just something about the way it was cut and the sincerity behind it. And by the way, I'm not a TSB bank client either. So for it to really get my attention, it definitely did a great job. And, and they're doing a phenomenal job from what I can tell from really looking out for their customers and trying to squash any financial concerns that people might be having right now in terms of developing and you know, providing support via their mobile app and all that sort of type of thing. So yeah, that's what I've seen recently that really impressed me. Yeah, they did. And they made the most of their time. We're going to make the most of our time with a super quick rapid fire Q&A. You ready for it? Let's do it. All right, let's get wild. What is your biggest pet peeve? Uh, having to repeat myself. Oh, there goes the super quick. <laughs> What is the most embarrassing thing that has ever happened to you on stage? Oh my God, dude. I did a 45 minute keynote in front of 1200 people with my fly hanging low. On my really? The barn door is open. Just to wide open for some, for some of it as well. It was incredibly embarrassing. But now what's the last thing I do before I go on stage every, every single time since? Check that fly. It'll never happen again. Absolutely. And I saw in Pat Flynn's book, super fans that you are a super fan of Bruce Lee. What is it you like so much about Bruce Lee? Um, I don't, I mean, I discovered Bruce when I was 12 and you know, like a lot of people, you discover him because of his Kung Fu movies and then you get some books and then you start studying martial art and then you kind of not watch the movies anymore, but you carry on reading about his philosophies. And you know, a lot of people don't know Bruce was a philosophy major uh, for university of Washington. That man could think very, very deep thoughts. And so, yeah, I mean, I've read everything he's written. I've listened to everything. I've watched everything. There's just something about the inspiration. And he was so focused as well at doing what he did in regards to bringing Chinese art into the Western world the way that he did. So lots of respect for Bruce. And to this day, I don't think there's a week that goes by where something I've consumed in regards to him and his life and his teachings doesn't help me in some way, shape or form. That's incredible. Well, I need to learn more about him and you're clearly a super fan. Chris, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Really appreciate your time. Where's the best place for people to connect with you? Well, it's chrisducker.com. Uh, if, they're, if they're more interested in uh, my coaching programs and what we do over at Youpreneur, that's youpreneur.com. And I'm at Chris Ducker on all the socials. Perfect. And last thing, final thoughts. It could be a quote. It could be a line. You could just zip your fly up, whatever you want. Send us off here. The way to be nothing is to do nothing.
my favorite quote of all time. And it's one of the reasons why I'm so action orientated. And that means nothing to me. Thanks, Chris. (laughs) Uh, Nothing could be said more beautifully. Thank you, Chris, for sharing your amazing story, lessons, tips, and tricks, all the above. And thank you, Wild listeners, for tuning into another episode. If you want to hear more Wild stories like this one, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite app and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also check us out on Good Pods, where you can find all the podcasts your friends, family, and other favorite people are listening to. In addition, you can do a diving cannonball into our marketing and business growth resources at hippodirect.com slash blog and hippodirect.com slash newsletter. That newsletter is the Hippo Digest, and it's your place for wild marketing ideas every single week. And of course, come say hey, what's up, hello on your favorite social media platforms at the handles HippoDirect and Max Brandstetter. Until next time, which happens to be an incredibly special episode 100, let your business run wild. Bring on the bongos! <laughs>